Hello, this is Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. Thanks for tuning in. It's the final talk today in this series, which is called Basic Bible Truths. The booklet which goes with this series would be useful to have for reference in the long term, especially if you missed any of the broadcasts. Over the last seven weeks, we've looked at salvation, eternal security, the new birth, daily prayer, and Bible study, and so on. And today, Brian brings it all together with a look into the New Testament to see God's seven-point program, or pattern, for discipleship. So, now to Brian. Thanks, John. I wonder if you've ever noticed the precise sequencing of branches and leaves in a simple plant such as the one known as the sneezewort. If you count the number of branches at successive levels, you'll discover the numbers follow what's known as the Fibonacci sequence. That's where each number is formed by the addition of the two previous numbers in the sequence. Observing a pattern like that makes the tasks of recognition, memory and description a whole lot easier. The Bible isn't as difficult to understand once we begin to see that it too contains a pattern. In fact, it emphasises a repeated feature of patterns. In the natural world, when we model some dynamic situations mathematically, like the ever-changing size of a population, we get representations of reality where repeated patterns show the existence of a larger structure worth studying. And it's the repetition of features in the Bible that invites us to expect to find a prescribed pattern in the historical descriptions of early Christian practices. People do church in different ways today. One way is to recognise that the first apostolic churches, of which we need in the New Testament, supply us with a pattern which it's intended that we should follow exactly in every generation. All other ways of doing Christianity is to read the same texts, but to see them as providing underlying principles for different creative adaptations in all subsequent times. Some of these ways may resemble the first way in parts, but it's not really about comparing parts, but rather the sum of the parts. The key question is, is there or is there not a pattern to be followed? Paul says in Romans 6 from verse 6, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. These verses follow from the Apostle Paul's explanation of believers' water baptism as being our symbolic identification with Christ in his death, burial and resurrection. Paul goes on to explain the reason for this symbolism, and it's the reality that Christ's death was our death. Christ was serving the death sentence which our sins deserved. 
Now united with Christ through our faith, we're no longer the same person we once were. We have a new Christian identity and the freedom to express it in new Christian behaviours. Don't live as you lived before you knew Christ, is Paul's basic message in Romans chapter 6. We are no longer to obey sinful desires in the way that we employ the members of our body, what we watch, where we go, etc. But we are to do what's right by obeying what Paul describes literally as the pattern of teaching. This pattern was, of course, the Lord's own, later communicated by his apostles, and now contained through their writings within the New Testament scriptures. So in our new life, as a baptised disciple, the Lord intends that we should serve him by following the pattern he's given us. The Bible repeatedly mentions the existence of a pattern to be followed by those who served God at different time points in history throughout the progressive revelation of God that's shared in the Bible. Take Moses, for example. He was told by God, see to it that you make them, that was the furnishings of God's special tent or house, see that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. The fact that this was important to God, the fact that his people should serve according to God's own pattern, is confirmed by its repetition to Moses on two further occasions. And then it's additionally referred to by the Holy Spirit on another three occasions later on in the Bible. And so on into the New Testament. And the apostles pick up on this critical point, with Paul saying to Timothy, Hold fast to the pattern of sound words in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13. And how was that pattern for Christian service expressed in the first century? Well, the big picture, the overall picture, that we find there is of a company of disciples, all baptised by immersion in water, all added locally to Church of God Fellowship, all within an overall community, serving according to one pattern of teaching everywhere, maintained under a fellowship of elders and separated to God. Here we see biblical church fellowship and the biblical fellowship of churches. Consistent with the picture or pattern we've just outlined from the pages of the Bible, Let's now pick up on some specifics. There was only ever one church in each town or city. In it, only baptised and added believers were received to share in the breaking of the bread. And addition to one of the local churches effectively meant addition to all of them because of their connectional nature. These first century churches, known simply as churches of God, were coordinated by means of there being a group of elders in each one, and these elders consulted with those in the other churches on issues affecting all the churches, such as we read about in Acts chapter 15. In this way, the individual churches of God were not autonomous or independent, but rather, in the Bible phrase, fitly framed together, with the resulting united or interdependent structure being described in the New Testament as God's temple or house on earth. In aggregate, then the first century churches of God answered to the tabernacle tent of Moses' time, or the temple of Solomon's era. This New Testament spiritual house for God to reside in, on earth, was composed of all the churches of God seen together and united in their service. The clue we pick up from all that precedes this in the Old Testament indicates that this description of what they did is one which God definitely intends to be prescriptive. Recently, in the United Kingdom, 
DNA testing was used to verify remains as being those of King Richard III. In much the same way, we can compare the spiritual strands of modern church structures with the biblical blueprint, even stretching back into the Old Testament to check for biblical authenticity. In the background of the Old Testament, the children of Abraham from whom God's people were called to a life of obedience, in a covenant relationship from which they could be cut off, albeit they could never lose their racial place as a child of Abraham. And in the New Testament, the church which is Christ's body is comparable to Abraham's descendants as the pool from which God's obedient people are gathered. And from that gathered people, they can sadly be excommunicated although never losing their place as a child of God in the body of Christ. At the highest level of comparison, we observe that God's people in both testaments were saved by blood, baptised in water, and obeyed the teaching of the Lord for their respective time. What's more, God's house in any biblical age has always been the place where God resides and rests among those who continue to follow his rules. And God's priesthood has always been those privileged to draw near to God's presence in prescribed sanctuary worship. And God's holy nation may always be identified as those united with an identifying citizenship and with exclusive boundaries. Finally, God's kingdom is consistently in every age where God rules by his word over his people. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, and 25 verse 8, we read, If you will indeed obey my voice, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Let them construct a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them. And alongside that, we can lay the words we find in 1 Peter 2, verses 5 and 9. You are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Clearly, these same entities of a people, a kingdom, a priesthood, a nation and a house are revealed in both the Old and the New Testaments. In Exodus 24, they were established by the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, their sequels are established by the New Covenant. Their expression may be intermittent, partial and flawed, but they can only be claimed by those building on the same basis as the apostles once built. Believers who build today on the same constitutional basis as the first believers, those who build carefully on the same pattern or mould of teaching, are able to make the claim that the same results materialise as in the first century when they simply use the same mould today. When the same pattern is taught, as when builders follow the same architectural drawings at a different time, What emerges can still be described in exactly the same terms as anything previously constructed using the same drawings. Let me try to explain it in another way. You've heard it said that it's a mark of insanity when someone repeatedly does the same thing and expects to get a different result, like trying the wrong key in a lock. But then equally, is it not entirely rational to do exactly the same thing as was done 2,000 years ago and expect, indeed claim, to get the same result. When each part of the Bible, understood in a certain way, builds up into a coherent overall view, 
then we have confirmation of our understanding of each part and we can defend against the challenge, oh, that's just your interpretation of that particular verse. Discipleship is walking with the Lord day by day, every day. So let's make sure, as our hymn says, that we walk in the light of God's Word. If you'd like to receive one of the books for this series, please write in, let us know, and make sure to let us have your postal address, and ask for the title Basic Bible Truths. Now, here's our contact details so you can make a note. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now make sure to look out for Search for Truth featuring on www.twr360.org because this will give you an excellent way of accessing, again, uh, previous programmes that you first heard here on the radio. So, many thanks for your company once again as we come to the end of another programme and the end of this series. Next week, God willing, we begin a new series, and I hope you'll be able to join us. Until then, very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye and may God richly bless you. But